Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. church. Uh, For some of you up front, you noticed that we had uh, some, um, a a big group, I should say, of smiling faces come and join us uh, for this part of the worship service. And there's a reason for that. Typically, uh, the last several years, we have uh, dedicated August to be a month. And specifically, we've had one week that has been a back to school prayer focus week. And what we recognize as a church is there's many things we can give our kids. We can give them school supplies and clothes and new shoes and backpacks. But the most important thing we can do is support them in prayer. And so this morning we're taking a moment to focus specifically on praying over our children, over our families, over our students, over our administration and teachers and the boards and all the people that that are part of the educational process. And so we do have our our kids ministry up here. If there's any middle school or high school students that want to come forward during this time, if you'd like to come and join uh, the kids that are up here, feel free to do so. Otherwise, you're you're welcome to stay where you're at in your seats as well. Um, I want to read just a, a few verses. This is from Ephesians chapter 4, and it might sound familiar. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11 through 16, and it reads like this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we, are all, until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together and every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love and in each part does its work. This passage has implications for all of us because we are all, no matter our age, part of the body of Christ. Us as adults, certainly in the room, do bear some responsibility here to build up as leaders and to do the things that are necessary, but also within the context of understanding what it means to no longer be tossed back and forth. Children, let me say this to you. Students, let me say this to you. There will be those that are scheming to get you to do things you shouldn't do. There'll be times when you're tempted, times to step out and do something that God would not love, something that would not be honoring to him or to your families or to his church. And our desire, our hope as a church is to come around side you, to come along beside you, I should say, and to wrap our arms around you and to show you that we love you, we support you, we're here with you. We desire for you to make the right decisions. We desire for you to honor God, to honor each other, to honor God's church. And so we're going to pray now to ask for God's leading, to ask for God's presence, to ask for God's hope, his peace, his joy, his spirit to to dwell among us, not just in this space, but as we go from this place, particularly for many of you as you go into schools or on the bus or other places that you might find yourselves. And so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for the fact that you created us not just as individuals to live life in isolation, but you created us to live together in unity as your church. And God, while from time to time we do separate for age-appropriate teaching and activity, we do have youth ministry and children's ministry, and and we have this service, God, we have different uh, small groups and activities that take place, God, may we be reminded that we are one church. And even outside of this building, we are one church with other Bible-believing, Christ-following churches as well. And so may we come together in unity to glorify you, to edify your body. God, I pray for the children that are returning to school or maybe did this past week or the ones that will be this week, God, that you would be with each one, that you would touch them, that you would lead them, you would guide them, that you would give them a sense of courage, a sense of excitement, a sense of desire to go into the school and to be a man or woman after your own heart. I pray for families. I pray for teachers. I pray for administrators. I pray for school boards, God, as they make decisions 
as they step forward, God, in supportive measures and educational measures. God, I pray for coaches as well as as they pour into young lives. May you give them wisdom, discernment, boldness, maturity. God, I pray for us as a church that we wouldn't take lightly the call that you've given to each one of us as individuals and as your body to be about your business, to build up your church, to look after and to support some of the least of these and some of the youngest among us. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing. We thank you for the way that you move. We thank you, God, for the fact that we have this opportunity to come to glorify you in this moment. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. If you haven't already, you may be seated. Children, you can be seated right where you're at. I've got a couple things I do want to mention to the congregation and to you as well. If, uh, if you leave today, you might recognize there's a table right down the middle of the, of the foyer out there. And I just want to make mention that you can continue to pray for our kids even beyond this moment. There's two specific ways we encourage you to do so. The first one, uh, you'll recognize this out there. It's a packet. It says a back-to-school prayer calendar. This is for uh, any family, any individual, any group of, of individuals, maybe at work or in your classroom, or maybe those that you live with is for couples, whatever it might look like for you, whatever your context is. But this is a prayer calendar for you to pray focused prayers over the children, over the schools on a daily basis. And the way this is lined up, it doesn't have a specific month at the top. Instead, there are just days, and then there's focuses each day. So the first of every month, you'd pray for knowledge. Uh, the, the 11th of every month, you'd pray for respect, and, and so on. And so if you look at each one of these, there's a specific prayer focus, and so every day you would then, or excuse me, every day you'd have a specific prayer focus, but every uh, first of the month, every fifth of the month, every eighth of the month, you'd have a specific thing that you would come back to and pray for again. So we encourage you to take that, put that somewhere where you can see that, and be reminded to pray uh, somewhere where you and your family or those within your sphere of influence can pray as well. The second thing is you'll see a number of a big line of uh, 17 by 11 uh, papers, uh, calendars, and there's one for every month and every school day. Now, we did uh, keep the, the holidays in there because we recognize the break schedules are different for each school. But what we're asking for the congregation to do is to go out there and to prayerfully consider what days you might pray on for our schools, for our children, for high schools, middle schools, for uh, for high sc- or for elementary schools, and for our colleges as well, how you might pray for each one. But uh, what we're asking for you to do is write your name or maybe your family's name on any amount of days that you would like to. And then there's cards that are, look like this out there. You'd write the dates that you have written down or the date you've written down, put this somewhere to remind you. My wife and I chose our children's birthdays as a day to, re- to, to be reminded to pray for our kids uh, while they're at school. Excuse me. And so we encourage you to do so as well. You can sign up for as many days as you would like. Those are out there and those will stay here at the church. And so if you do forget, you can come back and look at those as well. But I'm excited to hang those on the wall and to be reminded that our church is supporting uh, our children as they return back to school and as they go through this school year as well. And so I encourage you to jump in on both of those two prayer initiatives as well. That being said, we have a, an answer to prayer. I want to announce real quick, and then we'll, we'll uh, allow the kids to depart back to children's ministry. And that is this. Um, we have been searching for, for quite some time uh, for some additions to our team. You might recognize um, that we have some, some openings. We're excited to, to recognize the fact that God is still moving. He's still moving in our midst. And so last week, actually, we had a, gr- a couple here that was, uh, was kind of seeing if this is uh, God's fit for them. And at the same time, we were, we were looking at uh, this opportunity uh, through a a weekend uh, beyond the the time we'd already spent uh, searching, but a weekend of interviews and a time where they could come and be part of it. We did not make a public announcement. They were here last week because uh, actually the husband is serving in a local church right now, and uh, we wanted to make sure that we were uh, helping keep things confidential for them as they kind of sensed what God's call was for them. But I want to uh, just announce this morning uh, an exciting answer to prayer from God that we hired, um, and I'm going to put their picture on the screen or somebody's going to in the back. We hired Ray and Mary Selway as our assistant pastor. Ray's going to be our assistant pastor. Mary's going to be our children's pastor. And so we are so excited. That's an applause, I think. Uh, Maybe you're still taking it in. so excited to have them join the team. Uh, the timeline's still up in the air because we're waiting to see how things are going to uh, unfold for them on their ministry setting now, but excited to have them come and to join us. Uh, one thing I will say is they're both going to be here for the volunteer conference that we're having on Saturday, and so if you want to meet them, you can come and meet them at that as well. Maybe another incentive for you to sign up if you haven't already, but so excited to have them come and join us. And uh, it's not on any of these sheets, but I do encourage you to, to pray for them during this transition, pray for our children 
children and our students as, uh, as they adjust, and then also for our church, they adjust to these new, uh, these new ministers that are coming on board with us as well. So, so, so excited for that and excited to bring you that news this morning. Well, as the children depart, I'm just going to encourage you to take a moment to greet those around you. Take a moment, maybe if there's somebody you don't know, shake their hand, welcome them today. If you need to stand up, you can do that too. Stretch your legs for just a moment. And uh, as the kids depart, and uh, just take a moment and, and greet each other. Well, I don't know about you, but the greeting time is one of my favorite times. I think my hand hurts. I got so many high fives as the children were leaving. But uh, in any event, I do have a couple of announcements before we continue in worship through giving and through song. Uh, the first thing is, I just want to welcome you. My name is Steve Warner. I'm blessed to serve as the lead pastor here. If you haven't had the opportunity, you're new to us, I want to encourage you to fill out the connection card before you leave today. Take it to the information center. We have a gift for you. We'd love to say uh, we're excited to have you here, and we'd love to, to answer any questions you have, pray with you today if, if, uh, if that's something that you need as well. That being said, if you have specific prayer requests today, I do uh, want to make mention of a new ministry we started a few weeks ago, which is our prayer ministry. It is a, an intercessory prayer ministry that takes place during our Sunday morning services, both 9 and 1030. And there's two things to mention about that. One, if you would like to be part of it, we would love to have you join. Um, and so you can sign up in the lobby. And basically what that looks like is you would come, you go down to the chapel and you pray specifically for the needs that are presented and any needs that come in as far as prayer requests on the Sunday of. Uh, as far as the schedule is concerned, you can choose as many times as you want to come. Typically, most that, that do so will only pray one service or the other, and then they can participate in the opposite service. And so I encourage you to do that. Also, if you have prayer requests, maybe you've got something on your heart today, we encourage you to, this is the exception to the connection card. Any other time, we tell you to take it to the information center. But if you have a prayer request, we encourage you to, to fill this out. You can put your prayer request here. There's plenty of room on the back. And drop that in the offering plate, and they will pray for those needs this morning during the service. So if you have a need today that you want someone to lift up in prayer, we'll pray for that for you today during this time. Uh, also want to mention uh, a ministry. You may have noticed already some of our young people are coming back, our college students. Uh, this is a ministry where we recognize that while there are students here, we don't want them just to check in, be here for, you know, four, maybe five years or beyond, and, and then just leave. We want them to be part of our church. We want them to recognize they are part of our church. And so one of the things we're doing is we're offering an adopt-a-student program, and this is a time to be able to really what it is, is basically what the title says, is to adopt a student into your life. And, and I've heard uh, stories about how this has been done in the past and how many students and, and families have continued relationships beyond just the four years they spent here in Athens. But basically what we encourage you to do, uh, and there's also a, a, a bulletin insert that, that details this a little bit as well, is if you are a, a family or an individual or a couple here and you'd like to adopt a student, which means you'd like to pour into the life of a student while they're here in Athens, uh, we would encourage you to, to go by the table in the Next Steps area, and there are two cards there. There's one that is yellow, and that says, I want to adopt a student. That would be for you. You'd fill this out, turn it in there, uh, and then there's a cream one if you were a student. If you're a student here today and you say, I'd like to be adopted, it might be good to have a home-cooked meal every once in a while or to, be, to participate in the life of a family. Or maybe you're away from your pets and you're like, I want to pet a dog every once in a while. And somebody here is like, hey, you know what? I've got a dog that needs petted. So you could, you could fill this out and turn that in as well, both of them to the same table. And in the next few weeks, we'll start to, to, uh, to pair up families uh, with adoptive students. You can sign up with a friend if you'd like to as well. And uh, some other details there. 
If you've got questions, you can certainly ask there at the information table. And I'll say this too, if you get in late, you say, you know what, I don't want to right now, but I know after things uh, cool down with sports or whatever this semester, whatever that looks like for you, uh, you could sign up in the future as well. We'll have more people, I'm sure, that would like to do that. And then the last thing I do want to mention before we pray for offering is that this Saturday is our Disciples Who Make Disciples conference. If you are a volunteer or if you'd like to volunteer, you are invited. We'd love to have you for this. It's going to be a time of, of sharing, a time of, of learning and growth. It's going to be a time of prayer together and fellowship. Uh, well, lunch will be involved. It's going to be from 9 to 2 o'clock uh, here in this space. And all we need you to do is register at this point. So if you could do so, you can do that uh, through the QR code or also you can stop by. There's a table out in the lobby for that as well. But we want you all to be there. We want everybody to be there because we recognize not just some people are selected to be volunteers, but God has given all of us gifts to serve and to lead and to grow. And so we want you all to, to take part in this if possible as well. So that being said, if you have any other questions about our announcements, anything else going on, you can stop by the information center, check the bulletin, or you can contact the church office this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for the moments that we have to be able to gather together and the fact that as we do so, we don't do so just in some hollow building, but we do so in the presence of the body and the presence of your spirit. And so thank you, God, for what you do and for your presence here today uh, that also goes along with us as we depart. God, we thank you for the things that you grant us, our time, our talent, and even our treasure. And as we embrace this moment of giving, may this be an opportunity for us to glorify you and then to edify your church. God, I pray that we would recognize in this moment that it's not about just grudgingly giving something, but it's about our spiritual growth, our reliance upon you, our, our showing of the gifts that we have for our good Father. And so thank you, God, for what you do. Thank you for the way that you move. May we joyfully and in and, and open matter, in an open way, give to our King. In your son's name we pray. And all of a sudden, once again, amen. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God of glory, Lord of love. Father's love is reigning over us. Brother love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward. Victors in the midst of strife. Stars and angels sing around. 
This morning, I'm reminded of many stories, historical accounts that we can read as we embrace God's goodness. In the book of Judges, there are several stories, several historical accounts of Judges that are um, good and some that are not so good. Judges 13 uh, through 16 highlights the 12th judge that ever, uh, that was appointed, that ever served. He was recorded to have long, beautiful hair. He was recorded to have long, beautiful hair that was the source of unimaginable strength, which was a gift from God. However, what you might read if you were to read this story, this historical account, is you might recognize that what he had in strength, the, the, the physical strength that he had, he lacked in common sense or discernment. While he was ordained by God to, to be the one to, to make decisions, he would make poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. One of the first poor decisions he made was to marry a woman of a, of a competing nation, a competing tribe, a Philistine woman. And this Philistine woman would cause him to make more bad decisions. And as these two nations would war and battle over the interpretation of a riddle, Samson's first marriage would fall apart. And eventually, as a result, his first wife would be killed, as well as her father. In anger, Samson would take foxes and tie them together, light them on fire, and then he would burn down the Philistines' harvest, only to kind of fight back a little bit. And as they came back, as interesting as it was, one of the most interesting pieces of the story in chapter 15, verse 14, reads like this. When Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him so that the ropes that bound him were like flax that's been burned by fire and his, bond, and his bonds dissolved. He happened upon a jawbone from a petrified donkey reached out to grab it and killed a thousand men with it. And then Samson declared, with this jawbone from the donkey, here a heap, there a pair of heaps with the jawbone of the donkey, I've killed a thousand men. Samson eventually found a new Philistine wife who betrayed him several times, and he was unable to see the fact that she was doing that. Until it was too late when he was finally given up his secret was of his strength was was given to the to the enemy he went through intense physical suffering and then he gives up his own life killing many philistines in the process and if you read through these three chapters perhaps with fresh eyes or perhaps reading any scripture at all for the first time you might think what is the point of this story you and I probably read through stories from time to time, particularly in Scripture, and we can relate to a character. We might relate to Aaron, or we might relate to Moses, or to Paul, or to Peter. might relate to Mary, might relate to the, any number of people in Scripture, but it's difficult to relate to Samson. Have you ever picked up a jawbone before and thought, this is a pretty good weapon, I'll go to battle with this? Have you ever made a decision and thought, okay, I'm going to learn from this? Or maybe you made a decision and thought, okay, it's going to take me two or three, maybe four times. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you've, you've basically riled up an entire nation against you? 
It's hard to relate to Samson. It's easier to relate to others. And the recognition in all of this is that throughout Scripture, there are stories, there are historical accounts, there are things that took place. And as they have been inspired by the Holy Spirit and written down by those who have been faithful to his call, we recognize that God gives us inspired understanding of how he wants us to live. And let me just tell you this right now. While it might not be recorded in the same way that Scripture is, you and I are part of a story. You and I are part of, of, of a story that we might look at and say, okay, this is the story of me. But let me just say, you and I are part of a story, and that story, the author, is God. And God's story has a redeeming ending. God's story is good. God's story is so interesting. I can tell you right now, I love a good story. Perhaps I've said this to you before. We've talked about this before. I, I love a good story. I love to watch a story that, that has a great ending, a, a good story that has a, 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 good, um, a, a good background, good character development. I love a good story that when you watch maybe a movie or you read a book and you find out that the author had some personal portion that, that played a part, played a role in the story, it just makes it so much better. Can I tell you the story that God is writing? Every member plays a part in it. Can I tell you, the story that God is writing doesn't have any extras, right? The people that don't have a line, the ones that just are kind of along for the ride. No, God's story has many characters, many individuals, many people that were created in his image. Every single person is part of that story. And his, his story decides or determines or wants each one of us, desires for each one of us to be on the winning side. We're all created to be part of his story. In this second to last week of this series, we're looking at how we embrace, how we engage towards others. And it reads simply like this. This is God's call for us. Respect the inerrant individual rights of all persons, regardless of race, color, or sex. And in this, we recognize, let me just say, don't, don't hit the exits yet. There's, there's no political agenda here. We recognize this is what Scripture says. This is the way that we are to live. This is the way that we are to embrace or to engage with the other members of this creation. Because God created all of us in His image. Regardless of the, our, our personal beliefs, our understanding, or even if we acknowledge God, we have been created, you and I have been created in His image. And so today what I want to do is we're going to take a short passage from the book of Matthew, chapter 7. This is Matthew's gospel, Matthew's good news that he wrote down about Jesus. And he is the one that did the, 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 the greatest job in detail of writing down the greatest sermon ever preached, which is the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus embraces some of the greatest things or some of the most important things that you and I could ever come in contact with. He embraces some practical, he embraces our relationship with him, our relationship with one another, how to act and where that comes from. And as we read through, or as you might read through some of this Sermon on the Mount from chapter 5, chapter 6, you come to chapter 7 and we see kind of the underlying roots of where this all comes from. Because action alone is not enough. We talked about this even last week. It comes from the heart. And so in chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, we see this these few verses sandwiched right here uh, in between all the actionable things God is calling us to through Christ's teaching and then also some things to talk about that are going to come in the end times. Here is the present. So here in Jesus' preaching, in the middle of these practical things, he highlights this one thing that probably not just those within the church, but those uh, that in this, this, this culture, North American culture might understand as the golden rule. And he talks about it in light of understanding how we are to act, how we are to live. So chapter 7, starting in verse 7, reads like this, that Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And then seemingly, uh, maybe even confusingly attached here is verse 12. It says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law of the prophets. Now, this is the first time that that specific principle has been taught in a positive sense. This is the first time where it's been taught in a way of saying, hey, do to others in a positive way. Because before that, even in other belief systems, it would have been taught as, well, if somebody does something to do, eye for an eye, get them back, right? 
Well, here Christ is saying, no, do in, in, a, in an intentional way, in a proactive way, do good for other people in the way that you would want them to treat you. In the first two verses of this, of this uh, passage, in verse 7 and 8, it talks about asking, seeking, and knocking, which are all in present tense, recognizing for the follower, for you and I, that this is so encouraging that, you know what, it's a continual thing. We haven't missed the boat yet. If there is breath in your body, there's still opportunity to seek, to ask, to knock, and persistently make requests to God. This seeking and asking was a metaphor for Jewish prayer. And so for those that were there at that time in the first century hearers, they would understood this to mean uh, that you could, con- you could come in contact, you can continue to come to God, you continue to embrace Him in, ever- in any way possible. For us now, we recognize as followers of Jesus that we have the, the power and the presence and the gift of the Holy Spirit, which means that we can make that phone call anytime we want. We can talk to the, the God, the creator of all, the savior of all with a simple word. But here's the best part. This will be given, which means we can ask, but if we ask and, and we ask anybody or anything outside of God, we don't know what kind of answer we get. But the scripture says when we ask, it will be given. Amen? I mean, God will respond. And the first point is this. God is the one who provides the power and offers his provision for his people to live out the golden rule. And so before we even get to verse 12, we recognize that the way that that's generated, the way that we have the ability, the way we even come into the presence of God through pervenient grace, grace that comes before grace, is that we have the opportunity through the God, the, prov- the provision of God and the power of God to even experience, even to live out, treat others the way that you want to be treated. Because two, he's the one that establishes absolute truth, right? He's the one that says this is what's good and this is what's bad. And so for us, we we get the framework, we get the understanding, but we also have the power because of the presence that he has for us. The power of fully embracing God, teaching teaching us through his power and through his understanding what that means. All of us can embrace him. All of us can, can engage him. All of us can make that phone call. And guess what? He picks up every time. He doesn't have bad service. He's not in the middle of something. He picks up every time. And some might say, well, I I, I can't follow the golden rules. Somebody has wronged me. Somebody's done something that has been difficult for me to get past. And guess what? You're right. You can't follow the golden rule on your own. You can't follow it. You can't embrace it. And that's precisely the point. Because what we can't do, God can do. Where we fail, God succeeds and often shines in our midst. When we think, when we feel, when we believe it to be impossible, God says that's commonplace for me. Make that phone call, engage him. In fact, it's one of those situations where God sees us in our midst. He sees us in our discouragement. He sees us in our, in our un, unavailability or unability or inability, I should say, uh, because that would be the right word, inability to, to engage it. He says to you, look, I will step in. He says, look, okay, you need help. You need me to, to engage this. You need my strength. Hold my chalice, right? I'm, I'm coming. I'm right here. That was a joke, but all right, we'll move on. <laughs> Verses 9 through 11 engage this understanding of of what it looks like to embrace giving a gift. To embrace giving a gift to somebody who is in need, specifically recognizing what it means to have mercy or to have love for someone else. Jesus gives two examples from the family, the life to encourage his followers to be persistent in asking. In that time, stones in the area of Palestine would have been all over the place. And so it would have been an easy illustration or example for him to say, look, there's all these rocks. There's plentiful things that you could give, but there's one thing that's necessary. And that same thing is true spiritually. There's many things that we could take, many things we could embrace, many things of this world that would pass away that we can engage. But there's one thing, that bread, that that one necessary sustenance for that child, that one thing for us spiritually, that bread of life that will actually sustain us. And so the call or the question is, okay, if somebody's going to ask for, if somebody needs something, are we going to grant them something of this world, something that falls away, something like a stone, or are we going to give them the gift that we know, which is the bread of life? I mean, that's ultimately the core of treat people the way you want to be treated. Share the bread of life with them. Share love. Share things beyond this world with them. And the point is the nature of God is to be generous and loving towards us. He gave us the truth. 
If this is the first you're hearing of it right now, let me just tell you, God gave you the truth. That's what Scripture is. That's what His Holy Spirit does. That's what we embrace right now. God has given us the truth. He loves us. He has embraced us. He has come to this world to live in this world for us. He died for you, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, will return one day. But while he's, he's, he's tarrying in heaven, the Holy Spirit is here with you, empowering you, embracing you, encouraging you. Some being unloved in this specifically is, is the first reaction. We, we're, we're unloving towards others. But if we're going to love like God, we, we, we look like God. And seriously, what a serious love looks like, the, the Father, he gave one rule to Adam and Eve. One rule. And they broke it. He freed his people from bondage. They were living in bondage. He freed them. And they complained. And they griped. And they created images to actually worship and he loved them. Jesus then, he comes and he was wronged. He taught love. He lived out love. He gave all that he was. And he was ridiculed. He was wrongfully accused. He literally, they, they followed him around and waited for him to mess up. And he loved them. Let's take it a step further. Jesus was literally killed. He was crucified. And he loved them. The Holy Spirit comes, and this is maybe a little bit easier for us to kind of apply. The Holy Spirit comes, he's given as a gift, and he's forgotten, he's downplayed, he's put into a box, he's challenged, he, he's in a place where, well, you know what, you're kind of a last resort if my plan doesn't work out. And guess what? Even if he's doubted and he's forgotten, he still loves us. The first reaction for God is love. And I know that's not always easy. You know, you find yourself in situations where you're getting frustrated or aggravated or this or that in the context of life. But if we're going to love like Christ, if we're going to give the bread of life versus a stone, we need to embrace God's power, go where God calls us to, and not allow love to vanish. We ask, we seek, we knock in total confidence Treating others as we wish them to treat us sums up all the ethical teachings that Jesus has brought and given during the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, we're going to take this last portion to walk through in, in quicker fashion what it looks like. How does it look? What does it look like to love and respect others as it pertains to verse 12? So in everything, do to others what, it would, what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. First we go with God, and then what? First Timothy 5.21, it says, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and, and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do, do nothing out of favoritism. What does this look like? Thankfully, Christ lays out a template. He walks through some specific things that have very big implications beyond simply what we might, the box we might put them in. Just have a bunch of questions to his listeners that presented to this sermon to say, hey, look, I know that you have issues. I know you're walking through things in your life, and so let me address some of those. The first one is this, under the Sermon on the Mount, as he's walked through, and we're backing up to verse 5, and we'll kind of uh, walk back to where we are now. We're starting in verse 5. In verses 21 through 26, he talks about not murdering, and probably most of us in here are like, okay, check the box. I haven't murdered anyone today, right? At least this morning, the day is still young. It says, do not murder. And the point is this, value the personhood and the identity of Christ in others. Here's the, the reality to this. It's far beyond simply committing an act of murder that we would be tried for in a physical way in our country. No, it's far beyond that. It's, it's saying, do not hate, do not curse. In fact, the word raka there actually means empty-headed. Don't name-call. Don't demean the image of God, the identity in Christ in another person. Do not undervalue. Murder is more than a physical act. It's a mental sin. It's a way of degrading or tearing down other people, murdering their character, their image, murdering God in them. So value the personhood and the identity of Christ in others. The second one, as we walk past this idea of reconciling, uh, having the choice of reconciling or retaliating, is do not commit adultery. And you might be in the same boat. Well, I, I, I don't... 
I, I, I've been faithful to my spouse. I've been faithful uh, to who God's put in my life. Well, here's the reality. The, the point is be faithful, but be faithful is far beyond simply a physical act. Once again, this is a thought life. Again, this is in our emotional attachment. Once again, this is recognizing that God has called us to live a life that is faithful to him and to the people he's placed in our life. In fact, Philippians chapter four, verse eight says, think on whatever is good holy, pleasing to God. It's this image of understanding that there are going to be things in life. They're going to drag us or try to take us down the wrong path. And what God is saying is be faithful. Be faithful and committed. Be faithful and committed. Do not divorce is the next one. It says, keep your commitments and your words. This is from verses 31 through 37. Keep your commitments and your word. You can pretty much go anywhere and people are going to give you their word, give you a promise. But it's not until you act upon that or until you see them act upon that, particularly in times of trial, that you recognize whether that's a real promise or whether it's not. I get so excited, so encouraged when I hear about a couple who's been married for 40, 50, 60 years. Because you see that promise lived out, that little slice of heaven that God allows us to see in the context of relationship here on this planet. Additionally, he talks about oaths. And how we're not supposed to, to, to make an oath towards anything of this world, but instead to stay strong to the oaths that we keep. Or not to swear to anything else, but strong to the oaths that we keep with our God. The commitment, the covenant that we make with our God. In Matthew 5, 38 through 48, it talks about forgiveness and loving your enemies. And the context here is, is all-encompassing love unconditionally. Love unconditionally. I realize the things I'm saying are much easier to say, much simpler to say than they are to do. But I recognize this too, that just because something is difficult doesn't mean we don't try. Just because something might be hard to do or foreign to our action doesn't mean that we don't embrace it. And what God is calling us to do is to live differently, to live beyond this world, to live in a way, live into a way that he has called us to. The difference between, you know, love and like sometimes is recognizing that, well, love I have to do, right? Well, God also calls us to like each other. Sometimes you're not going to like everyone. But as soon as you allow bitterness to come in, guess what happens? That's a separator. That's a way that, 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 that the wedge is planted. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a place where you're not just finding bitterness towards another, but you're separated from God's goodness, his love, his embrace. Next one is another action. This is from uh, moving to chapter 6. It says, humbly give to those in need. Chapter 6, 1 through 4. And you might have heard this phrase recently. I know that I have. See a need, fill a need. Anybody do that this week? If you didn't, I I preached on it last week. And uh, I believe the Spirit gave that to me for a reason. So if you want to go back and watch it again, that's, uh, that's up to you. Humbly give to those in need. Maybe you might say, and I'll just throw this out there, maybe you might say, well, I don't really know anybody who's in need. Can I tell you one of the greatest tragedies of the church is oftentimes what happens is we're insulated from the people who might actually have a need, whether it be a physical need or an emotional, maybe it's it's a relational need, maybe it's a spiritual need, Right? Maybe we need to open our eyes or expand our, 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 uh, our environment, our sphere of influence. And then finally, Matthew 7, verse 1 through 6, as it comes right up on this ask, seek, knock passage, it says, do not judge others. Do not judge others. It doesn't say don't strive for accountability or strive to lift each other up. It doesn't say that we should just let other people just kind of be the victim or the, the, have to live with the circumstances of their own actions. But it does say do not judge others, which judgment means you're bad, get away. Accountability says, hey, I see the issue. Let's step into it together. Part of being the body of Christ is recognizing the image of God in each person, but it's also recognizing that God calls us to step forward in that image. Genesis 1.27 reads like this, So God created humankind, or mankind, in his own image. and the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And so when we look at someone else, rather than judging them for their shortcomings, we recognize God's goodness in them, and we attempt to try to come alongside them in that journey. 
So the bottom line, the bottom line makes things in a lot of ways, at least for me, uh, manageable. It makes it uh, something where I can take it and I can chew on it for the week and I can really say, okay, God, here's a place where you can really move. And we've heard of the golden rule, perhaps even outside of the context of church. You might have also heard of the greatest commandment. Matthew 22, later Matthew records these words from Jesus as, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. How we treat others, the way we want to be treated, is simply found in how we treat and how we want to be treated by God. And the bottom line point is this. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. I I love a good story. What's more, I love a good story with layers. I love a good story that tells something far beyond that, that strikes me. You know, Moses told stories. Paul's told stories or historical accounts. And all these granted readers the opportunity to relate with aspects of the characters that are in the story, the people who lived it out. But when Jesus told stories, he also illustrated how we are to embrace all stories. And it is this way. Christ is the center. Christ is the main character. Christ is the hero. Christ is both the author and the one to which we write about. In fact, uh, let me just read this quote from, uh, uh, from uh, Eugene Peterson. It reads like this. One of many welcome consequences in learning to read our lives in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Miriam, Mary and Martha, uh, Israel and Esther, Peter and Paul, is a sense of affirmation and freedom. We don't have to fit into prefabricated moral or mental or religious boxes before we admit or we are admitted into the company of God. We're taken seriously just as we are and given a place in his story for it is, after all, his story. None of us is the leading character in the story of life. And when we change the paradigm or we look at life differently, recognizing that the story is about God, the story is his story, he is the author, it makes it a lot easier. It alleviates a lot of the pressure and the burden that we carry to be able to just freely love him and to love others. To treat others the way that we want to be treated, to treat others the way that God has called us to, to give the bread of life rather than some mere stones. God has granted you, he's granted me the opportunity to be able to live into the lives of the people around us. And sometimes you might diminish that. You might say, well, you know, I I live with my family or my friends or I've got some coworkers. We're all believers, right? Can I tell you, I tell my, my kids, I tell my wife daily that I love them. Not because, you know, it's just something that we say or it's just the way that we end a conversation, but because I want to remind them I love them. There's an opportunity that you and I have, even if we're not in the presence of people that that may not know Christ, to be able to share the bread of life daily with those we love. Not just always by giving them a sermon, but also by revealing to them the golden rule to treat others the way that you want to be treated. And that's a way that we can communicate his love. That's a way that we can sacrificially step out and reveal to others who he is and what he's done in our lives. When we embrace the golden rule and the greatest commandment, we do so in recognition that he is the author. He is the giver of good things. He is the creator of all good stories. As a matter of fact, the main story. And he is the facilitator of the love that we can grant. He created the template. And his call is for us to live into it. The point of the story is not to gain anything, but to point everybody, all that we, everyone we come in contact with, towards the hero the Savior, the King of all, our God. And so I want to pray for us this morning. And as I do, I want, to, I want to close with a prayer of commissioning, but also a prayer of encouragement. Because I recognize too that oftentimes what happens is Satan will attack. He'll try to undermine or discourage us or tear us down when we hear his word. May these words be a word not just of conviction, but of encouragement, of empowerment, a charge of love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these moments we can gather in this place. We thank you for the fact that you grant us your word as an opportunity to be able to know you and grow in you, an opportunity to be able to to interact with each other as your church and also with others outside of your church, to be your ambassadors, to be salt and light. 
God, I do pray for us as, as a church and us as individuals that as we go from this place, that we would do so in recognizing that, yes, it is a high call and it, it could be a difficult burden to carry, but God, you are the one that comes alongside us. You are the one that carries us. You are the one that brings forth, that creates the template, but also brings forth the opportunity for us to express and to give unconditional love. May our heart song, may our stories be men and women after your own heart. May all that we do and all that we say honor you. May we glorify you in word, deed, and action. And as we go, may we be encouraged. May our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds be open. May we see you. May we know you. May we glorify you. It's in your precious and your perfect and your holy and your provisional name that we pray. And all of a sudden, in this place, amen. Well, hear this, Galatians 3.28 is your benediction. It reads like this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Church, go together. You're brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters. And we serve a good heavenly Father. Go with God, he'll go with you. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.